0: This is The Inside Scoop with your hosts, Alex Sherman and Edmund Lee. Welcome to another edition of The Inside Scoop. I'm Alex Sherman, joined as always by my colleague Edmund Lee. Today, a very special guest. Uh, he just put out a great note on cable consolidation. He's one of the best analysts out there in the pay TV cable world. Craig Moffitt, founder of Moffett Nathanson, joins us. Craig, uh, great to have you here.
1: Good to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, so, th- you put out this note last week, um, and basically, uh, the idea of the note here is that uh, a lot of people, investors in cable, if you pay attention to the sector, you will have realized a lot of these stocks have run up on rumors of consolidation. Um, not really just rumors, in fact, uh, several stories that we've reported on here that uh, John Malone, who's this sort of legendary cable investor for those that don't know him, took a, a 27% stake, uh, he and his company, Liberty Media. Took a stake in this company called Charter Communications, the fourth largest U.S. cable company, uh, and he has made some public comments about how uh, he thinks that consolidation is the key to, uh, you know, sort of a, a cable panacea in his world. And Craig's note basically says, you know, wait a second, before you get all optimistic about this, and investors have already, uh, let's slow down and really take a look at what consolidation would mean. Uh, So, Craig, sort of what's your general hypothesis, thesis out there?
1: Well, the the general thesis is, look, the the industrial logic of consolidation is irrefutable. There there is no argument that programming costs are rising uh, extraordinarily quickly. That is the main source of pressure on the cable operators today. Uh, And the typical industrial response would be to consolidate. Um, All that makes sense. The challenge is that investors have overestimated the synergies in a lot of these cases, and the stocks have therefore risen, and they've risen in idiosyncratic ways, where, oddly enough, not only the stocks of the potential acquirees, like Time Warner Cable, have risen – but also the stocks of the potential acquirers have risen. Which and makes,
2: traditionally, that doesn't make sense, right?
1: Uh, traditionally, that doesn't make sense. And and what presumably the, the market is doing is uh, jumping forward to discount what are, in, in many cases, probably excessive synergies from these transactions. Um, and, and perversely, that actually makes it harder for some of these deals to get done. So it, it, Tom Rutledge, the the CEO of Charter, has articulated a vision that I think is, is it's, it's bumper sticker good and, and probably impossible to argue with. That says uh, two camps. That is, there is, will be a Comcast camp. Uh, Comcast is already north of 20 million subscribers. Um, and then there will be a second camp that will be essentially everybody else uh, that will eventually get to about the same size as Comcast. And that uh, and that, that is the logical endgame it's It's hard to argue that that's the logical end game, but the problem is, as any mathematician would argue, there are an infinite number of pathways to get to that end game
0: so it sounds as though you've set up a situation where what's an investor to do here? It sounds like it's a catch twenty two They realize that consolidation may be on the way. they want to get into these stocks before that happens, and yet because some of the M and A premiums already baked in, these stocks are now too expensive for a deal to get done. So, what do you do?
1: Yeah, I think it, it does make it very difficult to sort through this and and find really attractive opportunities. Uh, oddly enough, I think actually the most attractive opportunity, based on our analysis here at Moffin Nathanson, is is actually to bet on um, the one that is the least likely to be acquired. And uh, and so we're recommending a short position in. Cablevision, because I think Cablevision, of all of them, um, has just as much deal premium in it as the others. It's up about 15% now since uh, since Charter called itself a, quote-unquote, horizontal ac- acquisition machine. Uh, and uh, a- a- and our analysis of both the, the M&A um, issues and also of the impact that Verizon Fios has had on, on Cablevision's footprint suggests that uh, that it is actually quite unlikely that Cablevision will be acquired by one of the other cable operators.
2: So, th- so there's a short opportunity on Cablevision, is what That's you're saying? That's exactly right. Okay, but so taking a step back in terms of just looking at the industry and looking how consumers – I mean, basically, the, the concern has been for years is that the cable industry or the pay TV industry is saturated, meaning everyone who wants to pay for television already does. So how are you going to grow subscribers? Where are you going to get them from? Uh, consolidation clearly is is one of the the obvious choices as as uh, articulated by Malone. But if that's not the best way to go about it, what are what are what are the opportunities for the the incumbents?
1: Well, remember, a, a cable operator is really not a media company. A cable operator is an infrastructure provider, uh, and. For years, that represented an opportunity to go long the cable stocks because these companies were fundamentally misunderstood. They were always characterized as old media dinosaurs that would be roadkill in in the wake of of Netflix and and Hulu and YouTube and, and online video. And that was never a realistic concern because it misunderstood what these companies are. They aren't media providers. They aren't in the business of providing you video. They're in the business of transporting digital ones and zeros. And it doesn't really matter, or at least in theory, it shouldn't matter whether those ones and zeros are purchased directly from the cable operator and by the cable operator from Viacom, or whether they're purchased from Netflix, and Netflix purchases them from Viacom. Either way, the cable operator is providing the same thing. They're providing the transport of the digital bitstream. The real question for the cable operators then becomes: But can you charge for that? Uh, they already charge you for your band for your broadband connection, of course. But can they charge you for the incremental usage of uh, of broadband services? Uh, what what I think typically um, we've always called and I think is now typically referred to as usage-based pricing. Um, Will you get a, a regime of usage-based pricing, in which case all these issues of cord cutting in some ways are a red herring because the cable operators would be economically indifferent to whether you cut the cord or not? Um, or uh, Or will you, for policy reasons and potentially legal and regulatory reasons, not be allowed to do usage-based pricing, in which case a customer that walks out the door, takes all of their uh, their video revenue with them. That's a very open question, uh, and I think there's, there's lots going on in Washington that suggests that's really the space to watch uh, for the long-term health of the industry. And just as an aside, I think that's one of the things that John Malone at Liberty, when he decided to make the investment that Alex was talking about in Charter, was focused on. It was... This industry needs leadership on that particular issue and the issue of moving to a usage-based pricing regime and John was essentially nominating himself as, as the person to deliver that leadership.
0: By the way, how awesome is the phrase horizontal acquisition machine? That is going to be my fantasy (laughs) team name. John Malone is really good with words. Um,
2: He's good at at saying what he thinks in in really weird ways. Bluntly. And the
1: the acronym HAM, I think, is is, is particularly apropos. So,
0: Craig, one thing I know just from previous conversations with you is that you think eventually um, Dish and DirecTV may try another run at merging. Do you have an opinion on whether or not the two of them will wait for cable consolidation to happen first, sort of to prime regulators to say, okay, now it's our turn, or do you think they'll be the first movers?
2: uh, Just stepping in really quickly, I mean, the the difference with Dish and and for the satellite companies is they don't offer broadband like the cable companies do, which is what we were talking about earlier about usage-based pricing. So they're sort of in a tougher spot, and I guess that's that's the context of that question.
1: Yes, I think that's exactly right. They are in a tougher spot. Um, You know, it's a a very interesting question as to when, uh, how, and if they can – broached the topic of a merger in Washington. Um, Alex, you asked, uh, will they do it before or after telecom- uh, cable consolidation? And, uh, you know, it's, if you ask people on Wall Street, they would say, maybe entirely logically, that, well, surely if you let the cable industry consolidate, you have to let the satellite industry consolidate. Um, good for the goose, good for the gander. Um, that's not really the way Washington works, though. Uh, Washington very likely would see it the other way around, which is if you if the ball starts rolling in media consolidation, and uh, notwithstanding my argument that these companies aren't media companies, um, on Washington they're in Washington they're still viewed as media companies. Um, if you let the ball start rolling in, in in media consolidation, the Democrats become very concerned about uh, the the potential strangulation of diversity of voices and uh, and the next deal gets incrementally that much harder to do. And so the the industrial logic that, that is so appealing to Wall Street is, is completely and diametrically opposite to the real politic in Washington. And that would say that there may be a real premium for whoever goes first to, to have the best chance. I'm not sure, though, given what the Department of Justice said in the American Airlines U.S. Air case, that uh, that DirecTV and Dish will feel comfortable trying a, a deal in this administration. So uh, the the AMR ruling from Justice may push out a, a merger attempt between the two companies uh, if they do decide to try it um, for a couple more years.
0: What's your take on Dish then, Craig? Because certainly there's uh, there appears to be some one of two things are baked into that stop either the value of spectrum or some sort of M&A premium because basically they tried to buy Sprint and Clearwire, the stock went up. They said, we're not buying it anymore, the stock went up. So something's baked in there. What's your take on that company? It's
1: Well, an M&A premium and the value of the spectrum may be the same thing. Uh, M&A isn't just limited to DirecTV and DISH. But by the way, let me just go back to DirecTV and DISH. One of the reasons there's a lot of enthusiasm for that, by our estimates – a combination of Direct TV and Dish, and this goes back to our cable um, discussion a minute ago. A combination of Direct TV and Dish would generate synergies roughly ten times the size of the synergies in uh, in the case of Charter and Time Warner Cable, the most frequently discussed possible Wow, that's a big difference. And, uh, so just a huge difference. And so the, the synergies here are, are enormous. Again, the the real challenge on the satellite side is is Re- regulatory antitrust in a way that isn't the case in cable. Remember, cable operators don't compete with each other, so they're just getting horizontally bigger footprints in any given market. It doesn't change the number of competitors, so it doesn't really raise the same antitrust issues that a satellite uh, n- merger would. Plus, would
0: Dish create. and Directv are bigger themselves. Directv has 20 million customers. Dish has 14. You know, Charter has like four.
1: So- That's right. So you have, you, but it, but it's less really around the size than it is around, you're changing in the satellite case the number of competitors in each market. In the cable case, you're not.
2: Your ability as a satellite operator, your ability to compete in other markets, whereas uh, an incumbent cable provider, they're sort of stuck within their little whatever, whatever, whatever their monopoly footprint. That's
1: was. right, and 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 explicitly that that Directv and Dish compete with each other, and therefore you're taking a competitor out of the market in that merger, whereas in in the case of cable, you haven't changed in any market the number of. Players competing for a consumers um, uh, bill so so but but so the the but to your point Alex or your question about so what do you what happens to dish I, I wish I could tell you um, it, it's very difficult to say in the case of, of dish in particular because you have um, the iron fisted control of one individual Charlie Ergen, um, and at the end of the day what dish does is going to be a decision that is made by one person and it's very hard for a decision being made, it, it, that's to be made by one person to yield to analysis. And that's why you have so much confusion in the market about what is it that Charlie plans to do. The answer is um, there's only one guy that knows, and he hasn't told us.
0: Right, so if I believe in Charlie Ergen, then I buy Dish.
1: That's right. It, it, in some ways, it really is the ultimate cult of personality stock. There are a
2: lot of cult of, cult of personality stocks in, in the space in general, but I think he definitely <laughs> is is top of that list. You talked earlier about the whole idea of usage based pricing and whether cable companies will be able to start doing that. I mean, the the, the backdrop to that is, are we going to see these the cable industry, the pay TV industry, becoming essentially, as you said, just a data provider? So whether you get your video over a traditional coax line or the internet at this point, maybe the cable companies don't really care. Are they just going to become like basically internet providers moving forward?
1: Well, well, the, the, that vision, uh, Ed, is exactly um, what's at stake in usage-based pricing. And again, I, I don't know whether you can do usage-based pricing. The industry has talked about it for so long and used the phrase or used the word inevitable so many times over the last seven or eight years, but ultimately hasn't done anything about it, that the question now is whether from a policy and antitrust perspective, you would actually be allowed to do it. Um, Interestingly, in the video competition report that the FCC prepares for Congress every year, uh, as demanded by the 1996 Cable Act, the FCC defines uh, over-the-top video competitors as just that, competitors. And by defining them as a competitor, uh, it actually lays the groundwork for the Federal Trade Commission or the Department of Justice to argue that, therefore, anything you do that disadvantages those competitors is antitrust behavior and at least worthy of scrutiny. Um, and that becomes the question. Is Netflix has already argued that if the cable industry moved toward usage-based pricing, it would be patently anti-competitive um, because they would be disadvantaging a service like Netflix and therefore limiting their ability to compete. Well, it, I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but it is absolutely central to what the cable stocks are worth
2: but then why is that different from say the the wireless industry which already has usage-based pricing for internet access
1: well to two reasons um, one is the wireless industry moved to usage-based pricing with real alacrity so uh, when they saw the threat coming from their version of over the top um, they they almost immediately ripped off the band-aid of moving to usage-based pricing uh, so that they got there before any businesses had emerged where the entire business model of, of some company was dependent on unlimited avail- bandwidth availability. There are lots of companies now that exist in the terrestrial broadband sphere, like Netflix, that are dependent on unlimited bandwidth availability. And so there are, there are real competitive consequences in the wireline world that simply weren't there in the wireless world. The wireless operators also had the political air cover of being able to claim that this was a scarce resource and that there really were justifiable capacity considerations uh, in why you had to start to ration Spectre. resources. Um, in the case of cable, you really can't make those same arguments.
0: Well, one thing I was thinking, Craig, is uh, in Europe, we just found out last week that Virgin Media, now owned by Liberty Global, had made a deal with Netflix to basically offer Netflix like a cable station, almost like an HBO. It would be
2: a channel on a their channel system. A channel on their box.
0: Is it possible that some of the major, uh, you know, complainers about this, like Netflix, could in fact start making deals with the cable companies in order to make sure that this isn't an issue? Could the two, you know, so-called enemies become friends in the U.S.?
1: Yes, um, but it, it takes more than Netflix. Uh, it would take, and Google has actually. There's been talk that Google has considered entering into arrangements with France Telecom and others to, um, in the past, to to pay for transport. Um, but you know, the, the, without going too far afield into the discussion of net neutrality, um, the, the the very concept of net neutrality. Uh, I would argue, was never really about what people say net neutrality is about, about non-discrimination and, and First Amendment rights and, and avoiding blocking websites and things like that. It was really, um, from the beginning, a commercial discussion about who charges whom for what. Uh, and the the bright line for the Internet companies was always, we have to maintain a regime where... We aren't charged for transport because once we get charged for transport, the theoretical limit on what they could charge for transport is infinite. Um, and so you have to create a bright line that says there can't be two-way charging for transport lest, uh, lest this, this, it, the, the potential for those charges to run away from us. Um, that's really what's at issue here. And, uh, and so I, I often hear, um, Discussion. It, it's one thing to say we're going to present to consumers in a commercial arrangement a channel, so to speak, like Netflix. But it's very different if you say suddenly they're they're jumping the fence of uh, on this fundamental issue of will we pay for transport. Um, I, I I think it, we're still a ways away from any of these companies agreeing to break ranks in the concept of paying for transport.
2: Well, one of, one of the scenarios, uh, potential scenarios for some of the the cable providers, actually, is that if they're looking to try and break into this usage-based pricing tier or tiered pricing, so to speak, for how much data you're u- data you're using, there you know there have been talks about where, like a Time Warner Cable offering, say, Netflix or HBO Go into a higher, you know, higher usage package as a way to kind of indoctrinate them or bring them into it, uh, as long as they're getting paid for it, right? So, I mean, those are some of the scenarios being discussed that might be some way around that as as a you know sort of Becoming fellows at that point. Yeah,
1: look there. There are lots. There. There are lots of ways to skin a cat, and um, but you're on to exactly the right issues. These issues are tremendously important uh, because, and and also very hard to forecast as to where where the the regime from a from a business and from a from a public policy perspective um, will come out with respect to these. Kind of bilateral charges between distributors and content companies at what people increasingly refer to as at the center of the of the cloud.
0: Craig Moffitt, uh, co-founder of Moffat Nathanson, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Craig. You've really My helped pleasure. us
2: understand it better. So this is it's been great.
0: The guru of this. Yeah, area. exactly. Craig Moffat.
2: That was. Craig Moffitt talking about cable industry. Now we're going to move to have a a brief discussion about um, sort of the online um, news industry and conference industry. We're talking about all things D, the web and conference business that uh, is owned by News Corp. Part of uh, Dow Jones, uh, along with their sister title, Wall Street Journal, there was news yesterday that came out that um, you know News Corp is, is going to sever ties with the two main founders of the conference, namely Walt Mossberg, who writes a very popular technology column for the journal, and Kara Swisher, a jour- longtime journalist who breaks tons of stories uh, on the digital media beat. So they basically announced that those two are are, are going to part ways with the company at the end of the year when the contract is up. Uh, it was kind of expected. We know that uh, they've been that both Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg had been talking to investors and other potential media partners, uh, including say the New York Times, um, and as well as uh, NBC Universal, uh, as well as a few others. And uh, so a, a bit of a surprise in terms of the timing of this announcement, but um, not surprising in the sense that we knew that we were going to try to break off at some point.
0: So why is this significant?
2: Well, here's the thing, is that in this very small media world, it's it's significant to, to other media observers, people in the technology community, because, you know, it's uh, it, it, they, they break a lot of stories. Their conference is a well-known conference. Uh, they, they, were, they were the first to get um, Steve Jobs, the, you know, the former Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple. Uh, he, he almost talked to no. He never appeared on any major presentations unless it was a company presentation. The All Things D conference, which they, they hold once a year, uh, he, he he showed up to that. You know, Walton and Kara convinced him to come on. And it was one of the few places that, you know, as a, as a member of that tech community, as an entrepreneur or as an executive that you could hear him directly and even ask him questions, so it became uh, sort of this really important conference within Silicon Valley uh, and it attracted a whole lot of other big names you know uh, whether it was Steve Ballmer or uh, other executives at Microsoft as well as uh, in the tech community so that 's what 's significant Walt and and Kara. Uh, have this amazing Rolodex and can can have a lot of influence, Whoever, almost whoever they want, they'll come. So the fact that they're breaking away, taking their Rolodex with them is pretty significant.
0: So, you, I mean, part of what you said was that this wasn't necessarily surprising. What, had there been some sort of tension between the two, uh you know, Wall Street Journal and, and All Things State? Yeah,
2: exactly right. So, I mean, Walt and Kara are are uh, very hard-headed uh, editors, um and, you know, they have a, a – a contract, or they had they have had a contract with Dow Jones that runs to the end of this year, uh, and you know they ask for a lot. They take a big part of the conference sales, uh, and uh, News Corp foots the bill for the whole thing. Of course, on the other side of it, you know the conference would not exist without these two. I mean, they basically convince all these guys to come, um, and you know if they weren't doing that, you wouldn't have half as many people. If these these guys come. You could argue, right? So that's that's the what's the value that these guys. That these guys bring, and so there's that there's always been a debate uh, between those two and executives at uh, Dow Jones as to what their value is, and that's why there's been all this. So change.
0: this is sort of a money issue in the end.
2: It's a money issue. It's how much can I get for it? Uh, why are you taking so much for it? Uh, I mean, th- the origins of this really started with Walt Mossberg, who you know, uh, a widely read technology columnist, and a lot of the a lot of the whether it's Apple or Microsoft, these guys would go visit him and say, hey, what do you think about this product? We really want to get your input. Almost like he's like the main product tester, right? They might even have made changes based on his comments. So he wielded so much influence, and he realizes influence. He's like, you know what? I need to get paid more. And so it came to the point where, like, Dow Jones executives, before this is before News Corp bought them, was like, look, I can't pay you what you're asking, but why don't we do a conference, right? We'll give you some of the proceeds, and this way we can sort of... But all make money, and that was that was the the genesis of, of both the All Things D brand and the conference and what started it. Of course, because of that, though, they keep arguing we're worth more, we're worth more, and and you know they, they just decided we can't pay. Is there any more.
0: indication that the split with Dow Jones will affect the website All Things D, or, or will it just continue okay. as is?
2: So that, that's a good question, and there's a lot of questions out there about what this means for the All Things D brand. So technically, News Corp owns the brand, so if Walton Kerr split off. They can't take that brand with them. They'd have to come up with a new name for whatever new venture they're going to do. Then it's up to, to News Corp to decide, well, are we going to maintain all things D as it is? They put out a statement yesterday that was ki- that kind of didn't really get right at that, it, but they did say we're going to expand our technology coverage. We're going to uh, do expand our own technology conference coverage uh, conferences, and so that what, it sort of suggested, well, you know what? We might just put all things D on the shelf. Call it Wall Street Journal Tech or whatever you want to call, you know, whatever they come up with uh, to promote the Wall Street Journal brand, ideally. Uh, And you know, see you later, Walton Carroll. It was nice working with you. So that's that's what they've been telegraphing. So there's a very good chance. Uh and this might be sad for for a lot of the avid readers of All Things D, where you don't really even see the All Things D name anymore, that Walton Carroll do something else under a different nameplate and then the the, the Dow Jones does just the Wall Street Journal and, and you know you're not gonna see All Things D. It comes down to the personalities though. You're gonna see Walton Kara, they're gonna do some kind of conference business, they're gonna do uh news coverage and break stories, and there's a good chance they're gonna take a lot of those guys with them. Our good friend Peter Kafka, right. you know, media reporter there who, who's awesome. So former guest on the show. Former guest on the show, and, and hopefully future guests as well. So uh chances are that uh, he and a bunch of the other uh, well known staff at All Things D will, will go with them and, and start a new venture. And you know, we'll have to see what the name is and you know what what the what the format is, but uh, it'll probably be very similar to what you've been saying.
0: Well seeing. Peter, if you're listening to this, if you want to if you find out what's happening and you want to tell us Give you want to break on, on, yeah. on this show, feel free.
2: We're happy to have you anytime.
0: That'll do it for this week's episode of the Inside Scoop. For Edmund Lee, I'm Alex Sherman. Join us next week, as always, so
1: long. You've been listening to the Inside Scoop. The Bloomberg Media Podcast.